True sailors have great respect for the sea's immense power, and here at Wesson, they are even more humble because they are understandably wary. Wesson, the sentinel island at the edge of the earth off the Brittany coast, facing infinity. Beautiful is an understatement. For years, men have seen fit to surround the archipelago with buoys, lighthouses, and turrets. For seafarers, this is Wesson. Weather on the cards for all of us over the next few days in the shape of a couple of pretty fierce winter storms. Lots of weather warnings in force. Tonight we've got an amber be prepared warning from the Met Office covering the Northwest Highlands, the Outer Hebrides, and Orkney from making some structural damage. Julian, thank you very much. Sounds grim. We are well warned. Så gan är om jag ska köra något litet acoustic intro. Find these postcards in a gift shop. You have to find them yourself. Few places in the world have produced such murderous disasters, but today the rescue map has replaced the shipwreck map. I wanted to know why. It was one hell of a cruise in the deep of winter aboard one of the world's most powerful rescue ships, the Abbe Flandre, watching over Wesson like a treasure or a stock of nitroglycerin. Yeah! Yeah, hello and most welcome back to us, to Game for Riffs, the, the show, the podcast about riffs. Um, I, I don't know where we are on... In the grand scheme of things today, but uh, at the moment, doing pretty well. Uh, nice little intro, Ole. How are you doing? Thank you. I am doing well as well, because it's been snowing here in Amsterdam for the first time in, I don't know, years. It's a thick layer of snow, a white carpet, mm. uh, a fluffy, uh, white powdery snow that has settled on the city and everything seems lighter than air and i'm very happy about this yeah uh, yeah fantastic I've, I've been so envious uh looking at the picture the pictures of friends and no, your pictures from sure. your walks in the forest and now i can do the same uh, i don't know for how long but right now yeah. it's like six minus and uh, very powdery nice fluffy snow and because it's <laughs> the Netherlands and they don't know anything about snow, everything is code red and you can't drive anywhere. So it's really clean and uh, empty. Fantastic. So a great photo. Speaking of fantastic, I saw this photo of uh, your son admiring the snow from, from inside. Well, also from, from, from outside, actually, yeah. in, in an overall suit, but <laughs> also from the inside. And you know, it, it must be a, quite a big thing at, at that age because... Uh, Literally, the whole it. scene has changed, right, to, a, to this complete white color. And, and I enjoy mm. it for many reasons, you know. First, it's the light, obviously, you know, it lights up. Even with, when you have artificial lights at night, they do reflect, and it's very nice. But then also it dampens, so it's very quiet. It's super quiet now in, in and around Stockholm, which is yeah. uh, it's rather peaceful, actually. I mean, I can sense like a little, little bit of my tinnitus <laughs> that I normally don't he hear, but it's worth it. It's completely worth it. Yeah. It's a nice environment to be in. Definitely. Brings it's energy. funny here. Yeah, <laughs> nice energy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny here because they, you know, they don't have snow, so they're not really prepared for it, but they do go occasionally on like a ski vacation in the Alps, so everyone is wearing uh, snowboard clothes. It's <laughs> 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 like dropped, dropped any semblance of, you know, trendiness, and <laughs> everyone's just very relaxed in this mm -hmm. baggy uh, 
you know, form form fitted uh, Gore Tex, and yeah. they also it's very cute that they have uh, they don't some have uh, you know like a pulka or something, but most just take like uh, maybe an IKEA bag or something, and their kids can go down the very not very steep slopes. But anyway, I, I like this. Uh, you know, we kind of just do take what we have, which is not much, but uh, we enjoy it. And I think it was the perfect timing also because it's been so restless with this curfew that I described in the previous episodes. Uh, people have been angry about that. And um, yeah, this is more of a positive thing happening all of a sudden. Uh, sure. Yeah, I like that. The feeler, um, for the time being, it's uh, calmness has settled over the city of Amsterdam. Nice. Um, Musically, uh, yeah, I've been I've been having some more time playing this week. Uh, it's very nice. I've been sitting in my studio with the acoustic also, and like going a bit, thinking, oh, should I play the acoustic this week? Maybe, but I settled for a clean guitar. So uh, I will see if there is some distortion coming in. But um, uh, right now, I feel uh, yeah uh, hyped for that. Nice, and um, we're recording on the. Monday afternoon today, so we're not actually stressing in curfew. I guess maybe you have other things, no pressing issues. So it's probably a normal <laughs> length episode, but it's a little bit of a different setting than I think last three weeks or something like that. Exactly. We've, yeah. we've done this like on the clock Monday night, which I enjoyed. But today, uh, <laughs> today it's a calm afternoon. It's still sunny here, and uh, yeah, I would say relaxed episode. You know, uh, the vibe going in at least. I think it might be. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, stop oh, yeah. right there. Whoa, you didn't make it easy for yourself this week. I've been I've been trying this riff a couple of times for for this show, and <laughs> I've gave up every time. Uh, but it's no, a but great I, song. I'm, it's a very good song. You might yeah. want to add something to that uh, before I drop the title. I mean, you know what it is. I mean, there's a, there's some more parts coming in there. I think that are just uh, just lovely. I just have to um, uh, <laughs> let's see if it's if it's how, this is how it goes. It's Roundabout by Jess. By Yes, yeah, and uh, the only riff that I, when I tried it last time, which was maybe 
almost a, not a year ago because we haven't been doing this for a year, but you know, close to it. I own the only riff I thought that I could bring in was the medieval riff that you played last. The rest were, frankly, the rest was too hard for me to play. Super funky and super classical, both, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of fun stuff. Uh, yeah going on here with the, the intro especially That is, it's just fun. It's a, it is a Chris Squire bass that just like pumps. We, yeah. we can cut, edit that in, but on top of, or on the bottom, and you have on top this fantastic. That's riff. That then is coming in later, like so nice. Fantastic song out of uh, off off <laughs> fragile nineteen seventy one. This fantastic year for rock and roll, right? Yeah, With, so I, I kind of we talked we talked a little bit about it last week when we were kind of uh, setting like the date for when was rock and roll at its peak. And I would say nineteen seventy one, maybe not the peak, but like definitely a, a year when so much happened and so much different things happened. I remember, like uh, I, I recalled after the episode, like yeah, the, I think the posthumous, the like the uh, uh, even like a Jimi Hendrix posthumous uh, record was released after his death, the same year as this one, and the same year as Marvin Gaye. Uh, what's going on? Like this, like everywhere, was just firing on all cylinders this year. Yeah, and uh, and then you have like really this quintessential prog rock band that finally finds their form on this album uh they have had released like a couple of albums before but then it was more uh, maybe beatles influenced more psychedelic but then like they saw um yeah they, they, i'm just heading straight into it you know the the band went to see uh king crimson king crimson concert mm -hmm. and was like oh sh okay we have to we have to do better we have to be better and they started rehearsing. You know, before that they didn't rehearse. They just, uh, you know, recorded and went on tour. But then they started rehearsing, and um, something happened. I think. And on this album, oof, yeah, it's such a cool album. Fragile, 1971. 1971. And speaking of Bill Bruford, no, not Bill Bruford. Actually, <laughs> the other way around. Speaking of King Crimson, they've shared the drummer Bill Bruford. Mm. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when he was in King Crimson and when he was in. Yes, but I'm 100% sure that he did both Close to the Edge and uh, Discipline by respective bands, which are both yeah. like impossible drumming on. And then he probably did <laughs> quite a bunch of other albums with both bands. I'm guessing he's on Fragile as well, because he is on, he's the drummer on the album before, Close to the Edge. He, he is, he is. Um, and it, it, like, 
also kind of symptomatic for uh, being a prog rock band. Uh, the the lineup changes are massive. You know, the, this band is just changing lineups all the time. They don't even have time for you know doing the Deep Purple Mark One, Mark Two. It's just happening almost at, <laughs> at yeah. a monthly basis. So it's just like kind of weaves into their being, sort of. And yeah. but at this point in time, we have the. Um, the co-founders Chris Squire on bass and John Anderson uh, on vocals, together with Steve Howe, uh, electric and acoustic and everything, guitar, yeah. uh, Bill Bruford on the drums, and Rick Wakeman, who we also kind of uh, talked about. Oh, we, 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 you talked about him in the Captain Beyond episode. You might remember, dear <laughs> yeah. listener, as the one, the person who gave the, uh, Captain Beyond their name. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to hear more about more about that, you should listen to our Captain Beyond New Year special. Yeah, I'm very proud uh, of that episode. It, it, it went really well, I think. It's mm-hmm. a very nice one. I can wave yeah. my own flag on that one, or our own flag, I should say, the Giffer flag. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a good a good one. Yeah, go listen to it if you haven't. And uh, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, I've been I've been really trying to get to this band for a while. I practiced this riff from the album before. Uh, I still don't nail it, but it's fun to try it. I even had to switch guitars now because I got excited to try oh, yeah, it. nice. It's uh, this riff. Let's see if I can get some tone here. Didn't nail it, but it's a cool part. Uh, Siberian, <laughs> nice. Siberian Cathru is the name of it. And oh, yeah, yeah, uh, nice. From the album prior, Close to the Edge, it's just three songs, and three very cool songs. But I would say that Fragile is a superior early 70s Yes album. So uh, let's get back to that, I guess. Uh, I just have to check something when, when Close to the Edge was released, because I think it's the one uh, after. Oh, it could, oh uh, yeah, maybe it's the one after, yeah. yeah. But I think they released the same year, actually, because that was quite common in the early 70s. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's kind of what happens that uh, you have so much. You, again, you're firing firing on all cylinders, and you want to get stuff out. And like, yeah, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, all these bands, they released like uh, multiple albums. It's almost like it is nowadays uh, with the cloud rappers. I mean, okay, we maybe went past that. <laughs> no, but, that's uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a couple of years ago, they were just they were just dropping these huge, like um, uh, 25, 30 uh, track albums, you know, like uh, two, three a year. Um, I, and in, in rock, you have King Gizzard releasing five albums in uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so, I, you know, I, I mean, it, it, this is an interesting thing, maybe. Like, when did... I think there's a couple of different uh, time eras when that uh, the um, the cycle of recording, going on tour, uh, promoting, and like recording, and that 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 kind of has changed uh, a couple of times. Like in in the '60s, I think, and in the like Beatles, they were kind of producing and going on tour at the same time. But then later, when we're talking Metallica, maybe Black Album, th- there is such a like. Um, very distinct uh, period of time when you're recording, you're promoting, you're going on tour, and uh, then at some point you're going back in uh, uh, in the studio again. I mean that that it kind of with all the in the eighties it kind of more got into this, um, uh, I guess like record label 
uh, that the record labels saw that they, they cannot clash all the time. <clears throat> they cannot release, and they, I'm, like, I'm guessing a little bit, uh, they cannot release stuff uh, at the same time as that band. You know, we can't clash. You know, before, like in 1971, everything just clashed. Like yeah. everything, everyone was releasing killer albums. And I've, I have a feeling that the record labels later uh, stopped, uh, you know, they didn't allow it. And now we're back in this sort of DIY situation or maybe a, a situation where it's like back back again, like it used to be. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, pretty much like that, actually. That's how it is, because uh, also in terms of just logistics while touring, they were incredibly weird. Um, let's say Jimi Hendrix, for example. I think it was Jimi Hendrix, something around that age, around that era, anyway. Mm -hmm. that he played, you know, Atlanta, and then he played Quebec, <laughs> you know, just flying <laughs> like a, like a, you know, a messed up uh, piece of wool, you know, or a thread, just, you know, going, yeah, nuts, going nuts on himself, you know, the touring cycle yeah. was not logical or economically planned, it was just like, okay, you're, Quebec is ready, fly there, oh, Miami is ready, exactly. flying over there, so it wasn't slick yet in terms of when mm. to release it and so on, and I think yeah. it went very slick. Uh, possibly in the 90s, um, possibly that late, but obviously already in the 80s it was getting there. And uh, obviously the planning with releases was a big thing. Way into early 2000s, you could sit on an album for quite a while. And now only the Giants do this. I mean, it's pretty much mm. sure that Iron Maiden, for example, have had this new album done for quite a bit now, but they're not releasing it. And that's because not because of another big release, but because of the pandemic. They can't tour. Mm. But other bands, they don't have to really care about such things. Small acts like DIY. So they can mm. do it, just as you said, early 70s style, late 60s style, just release it. Just bang them out. Black Sabbath, two albums in a year. Yes, two albums in a year. And I mean, it's legendary albums too. So Yeah. Yeah, it's very different. Very different for sure to what you've had in the 90s and 2000s. Up until now, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, then who knows what will come now, like this year... Feels like okay. Iron Maiden might hold back, but I feel that's been a lot of uh, uh, cool releases uh, during yeah. the pandemic as well. And I think that will for sure change everything because you can't tour. And I mean, how will that be approached in the future? I don't know. It's hard to hard to look into the future. I, yeah. It's been interesting to listen back to what we thought the future would be in uh, 2021. Uh, mm -hmm. later but you dear listener who's listening from the future um, and you dear listener who's li listening yesterday and tomorrow you know like just enjoy because now we're talking yes we're talking roundabout um, mm -hmm. what is this song about actually is it about a roundabout in traffic or is that just a, a metaphor in and around the lake while my lover will be there and we'll see you <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a fantastic lyric but don't really know it, it feels like it's about <laughs> driving a car uh it could be another one of these tour uh uh tour tricks but could i don't be. know yeah i mean i've always read it as as absolute nonsense which i've yeah. never you know i've never had a problem with and um although ian not ian john anderson right yeah, John Anderson. Anderson is someone else. Yeah, that's Jethro yeah, Tull. But um, yeah. Yeah, John Anderson, yes. he has this vibe of, you know, uh, I'm a calmer man than you are because I know more. Yeah. He has that kind yeah. of, you know, almost smug hippie vibe. And not that it disturbs me at all. I, I don't feel it, but I've heard it being addressed. And I kind of agree that he has this, you know, wearing medallions 
he has some bigger truths to him. So even if he just sings about yeah. in and around the lake and driving around <laughs> in the roundabout to see you, it's, it's always like he knows a little bit more and therefore he's more relaxed. And also therefore he doesn't care about sounding like, almost sounding like a castrate. Yeah, he he is maybe the, the, the real Captain Beyond that Rick Wakeman was just like alluding to, you know, like this right. guy who knows everything and <laughs> has been to space and back because uh, I also have that feeling it, it has with to do I think with their whole um, their whole 70s uh, look um, with this uh, great like very elaborate stage uh, designs and uh, thematic albums as well as this uh, uh, album covers by Roger Dean who also uh, designed their logo this uh, fantastic yes uh, like uh, <laughs> I mean, again, the quintessential '70s prog rock uh, logo. Great logo. Um, yeah, everything just feels like like it comes together, and I think it, it's on this album and uh, close to the edge. Like they're they're at their. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not necessarily. Yeah, I, th- I, I think at their peak. For me, it's the best they do, and uh, uh, but um, uh, it's just like coming from all over, and you have this. Um, they they kind of upgraded because they had an, another keyboard player, but then when they got um, Rick Wakeman, you got like a guy who dragged around on tour, you know, seventeen different synths and uh, B three Hammond organs and mellotrons. Like he, his his uh, castle that he built around him with oh, keyboards yeah. is just like out of this world. Yeah, it's insane. But but I think I mean surprisingly, uh, you know, fitting very well. Um, with uh, and oh, and allowing the music to breathe, which is um, maybe you know what happens sometimes for me with Deep Purple that the the um, that John Lord and uh, Richie Blackmore are kind of battling each other in who is the heaviest, who is the most loud, yeah. and then you have in yes, there is so much air within the music and um, these uh, very particular guitar riffs of um, Steve Howe, uh, Steve Howe, and the, the thundering bass of Chris Squire. That is also like you know I can't even play like that. It, it's great. Yeah. It's it's his bass playing is out of this world. It just complements each other very well together with um, um, uh, the drumming, <laughs> Bill Buford and and Rick Wakeman, and then you have. Uh, and, and the only thing that could actually work with this music is a high falsetto. <laughs> they happen to have one. It's just like he's lying. He uh, he's perfectly fine up there, you know, uh, flying in the in space, all like <laughs> on uh, above, high above the stage. You know, yeah. like his voice is just uh, it crazy. wouldn't fit. It would would be very hard to find a better fit. You yeah. know, like and I saw him <laughs> now that he's super old, obviously because it's an early band, and he performed this very song roundabout, but with. Uh, and not with Chris Squire, because I do believe he passed away. I'm pretty much sure. Uh, so it was uh, actually Geddy Lee filling in on the bass. Yeah, so yeah. Geddy Lee playing yeah. with the band. And, and John Anderson sounded, I think, better now. And at the same mm. very pitch. They didn't, you know, they didn't have to modulate yeah. the song down or anything. So he's just, yeah. he has this incredibly high voice, naturally. So it's not forced. Also when, really. he talks, also, also when he talks, he sounds the same. I think yeah, that's the key. Exactly. And uh, Steve Howe, <laughs> I mean, that was an early hero of mine. I, I felt that he was such a cool guitar player. And I wanted to address from mm. the very beginning of when we started this segment that it's not only about the technicality. Definitely not only no. about the technicality. It's fun music, you know. Fun themes, interesting themes, yeah. musically interesting and entertaining, really. It's not like a novel score that you know, you're not looking down into your own belly button, so to speak. 
Yeah, I was gonna just take. I think I think you're right that they hit that perfect um, uh, line between you know technicality and also melody and the craftsmanship. You have the three minute long long distance run around, which I kind of I was remembering the other day, the other week when you were you were playing uh, the Scorpions riff with this uh, yeah. uh, fast moving guitar lick and. I just you can see if, uh, what happens here. Uh, I was playing it a little bit. Uh, uh, let's see. <laughs> this uh, yeah. funny intro uh, to long distance run around. Uh, it's also like this. Uh, it's really become. It has this funny intro, a fun intro, and it becomes quite serious um, with this uh, this heavier riff. Uh, long distance, run around, long time waiting to feel the sound. I still remember the dream there. I still remember the time you said goodbye. Did we really tell lies? Getting in the sunshine. It's such a good. Like it's good so pop. beautiful. Good pop right there. Yeah. Yes. No. No. But that's what I, I was gonna gonna get to that. And 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 you um, said it better. I mean, it's pop. It's really good uh, pop music. But at the time, you know, like these were the pop bands. It's quite crazy to think think back and like imagine that the pop of those days were Genesis, yeah. Yes, Rush, uh, well, King Crimson's. I, not really. I mean, they were a bit more extreme, I would say, in this. Uh, but still, in, in sounds, a way. She's still kind of famous. Actually, even my mom listened to. King for Crimson, sure, no, but, for sure, for sure. So. But okay, but let's say it's the pop music yeah. of this area. It's really like dense stuff. And I, if you go a bit later, maybe you have um, Fleetwood Mac coming also with like really dense, intricate songs. Um, yeah, getting more streamlined, maybe. But like at this time, people were just. Uh, you know, like paying attention. I guess it's some somehow we we have to do things faster now. Maybe that's a you know like a boomer perspective, but it's it's really impressive that this was pop music considered pop music back in the day. Yeah, uh, and I looked it up now. Fantastic. So you were right. Uh, this one is released before Close to the Edge, which actually makes more sense. Yeah, but in a way, it's a similar sequencing because this album consists of three long songs as well. Roundabout, South Side, South South Side. South Side of the Sky and Heart of the Sunrise. <laughs> That's the three long songs featured. And then they yeah. have five member songs. So first yeah. you have uh, uh, Cans and Brahms, which is an, uh, an arrangement by Johannes Brahms by Rick Wakeman. Mm. We have uh, yeah, We Have Heaven. <laughs> it's uh, like this kind of super a cappella crazy song by Anderson. Uh, five cents, five percent for nothing. Bill Bruford's mm. kind of rhythmical piece, 35 seconds. And then... Um, Long Distance Runaround, which is also Anderson doing something. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's almost a full song. And Squire has The Fish, Skindrelia Prematarius, <laughs> and, uh, and How finally has Mood for a Day, which is an acoustic piece. So it's kind of every yeah. member has uh, his song each and then three epic that's songs. That's cool. That, that's, uh, that's really interesting. You know, right. like the, to, uh, that the band 
uh, after like you know when when they come out, you feel like it's an album still. I feel I feel when you listen to the whole of it, it really uh, feels like a an album, you know, like a thematic album that the band made, and it's not. It's okay. It it's a goes a bit like everywhere, but it still feels um, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, that's strength for sure. Um, and I think the first song, I think it could have been roundabout or close to the edge. The first one I heard, I think it must have been roundabout because close to the edge, it has this beautiful melody, but it comes way later and it starts with this very. Um, um, for a young music listener, problematic intro of you know, everything, just solos <laughs> that oh, yeah. very also chromatic and diso- dissonant, and then comes this beautiful, uh, uh, this beautiful melody. Also, the uh, close to the edge, down by the river. Ah, uh, you know, like, but there's yeah. a there's a guitar part there. Also, we can we can edit it. They like to do the canon thing. You know, with the vocals yeah. overlapping each other in sequence, kind of, uh, yeah, or, uh, I guess canon is the word for it. In post, I could make that overlap myself, yeah. right? I'll be, exactly. <laughs> How is it? Uh... Yeah, it's a very cool melody and super 70s, right? Uh, mm. Like I have a, as a small tangent, I recently discovered that uh, drummer extraordinaire from northern Sweden, Morgan Ågren, uh, put up a, a, a show he used to record for um, Utbildningsradion, you know, Swedish yeah. television, uh, called Trum, T-R-U-M, where he he <laughs> he plays with this band that I, I actually saw this band together with your darkest friend <laughs> the other year, uh, Mats Morgan band, <laughs> and they always uh, they always start every every. Um, Every episode with this incredible, crazy uh, Frank Zappa yes style type performance, King Crimson, whatnot, with his band and with guests, including guests from yeah. abroad, like the Spoon Man, for example, who was in a Soundgarden video, plays only with spoons. And oh uh, yeah, it's a very good show. And the total duration of the whole the whole season or seasons, I don't know, is two hours, so it's watchable and it's very interesting. You also get like if you don't, if you like me or you are not super into Gent, here you get like the original no. Gent. When Morgan Ogren <laughs> plays with Fredrik Thorendal from from Meshuggah, um, they play as a two piece and this incredible, just incredible gent riffage. That really, it's really a good way to to kind of warm up to <laughs> okay. the genre, even if you're never going to get into it. Oh, cool! And the, he always brings out uh, albums at the end of every episode, and then he brings mm-hmm. out King Crimson, Yes, Frank Zappa, uh, Billy Cobham, uh, Alan Holdsworth, all those things, like right into <laughs> state television. It's so narrow. But it's also so to the point when I felt like too many things today are wide and to no point, you know, just, you know, yeah. trying to appeal to everyone, but there's no point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this yeah, one is exactly, like, this yeah. appeals to a small audience, but it's extremely to the point. And he shows these exercises and is, I mean, if you're only slightly interested in 70s weird rock music, it's a good recommendation and they don't talk too much. So even though it's still not subtitled, you can see it even if you don't know Swedish. And uh, he, of course, talks a lot about Bill Bruford. I think is his favorite drummer alongside Buddy Rich and Billy Cobham, probably. You know, so this is like Very cream nice. of the crop, really. <laughs> what else can you say? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean it's uh, it's just fun. I, I think um, uh, it, it's interesting also what happens that uh, 
as I, I was kind of inspired last week also because of um, uh, how you presented the riffs of Scorpions, that you went from yeah. their 70s stuff to their 1984. And of course, uh, <laughs> Yes is also kind of guilty of this uh, For sure. going a bit different route with, uh, with this riff. Owner of a lonely heart. Owner of a lonely heart. Much better than a owner of a lonely heart. Fantastic. Night also. Much better. Yeah, such a good <laughs> yeah. song, really. And I, I immediately thought about this. I was almost ready to play the riff, but I thought you would bring it out anyway because it's obviously their version of uh, "Rocky I mean, Like a Hurricane." You had a really good tone, so I mean, we, we'll we'll leave that in for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's their yeah, like you said, there's it's their version or like how they arrived at the same point in. I think they released the album in 1983, but it became a hit on MTV. 1984, the same year as Rock You, Rock you Like a Hurricane. So it's really like, yeah, it's yeah. it's a quintessential, like it's a Van Halen song. <laughs> Again, yeah. it's a Van Halen song. And uh, we've shouted them out before, um, uh, Lost in Vegas, and they listened to uh, Yes and Roundabout and really appreciated it, really liked it. But then mm -hmm. they put on, in a later episode, they put on this one. And uh, they were, as they are, they keep it a thousand, as they say. And they're like, yeah, gotta admit, I enjoy this more, you know. Is it as <laughs> is it as complex? Is it as does it ask as many questions? No, but the groove, you know, it has a great groove, and uh, Chris Squire is awesome on that song too. He really like fills out the chorus with his bass line, and uh, for me, like today, I also rather listen to this album than Close to the Edge. Okay, okay. But, uh, also, it has way less spins on on my end, so it's also because of that. Yeah, but do you get like this this kind of stuff? <laughs> That kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's fun. Uh, it's fun how they do everything, you know. Yeah. But but the thing is, like now nowadays, I guess they play both, uh, both both roundabout and uh, owner for lonely heart when they play live. I mean, why wouldn't they? But I think I I just have a feeling that their the general material that they play, you know, comes from the the seventies. But that maybe is uh, I don't know. What, what do you think? I, I haven't seen them live or any like complete live hmm. recording actually, so I don't know. I mean, I think I listened quite a bit to these two albums, Close to the Edge and Fragile, and then I was on to other things, and I just mm -hmm. quite recently rediscovered that uh, the Owner of a Lonely Heart song is really good, and uh, I I'm still kind of meaning to check out the rest of that album, which is called like 90210 or something like that, I think. Mm. Nine oh one two five oh. There's something. It's yeah. not the. It's not the Beverly Hills uh, thing, no, but something like it. Who knows why it's? How? Who knows why it's called that? You know, like uh, do we? Re we don't maybe need to know. But um, yeah. I, I was. But there was a, a, a kind of like a small renaissance of roundabout the song uh, happening a couple of years ago. Uh, which I found interesting. I was surprised also because I I, I um, discovered it without knowing uh, that it would be there. But there is this um, anime called JoJo's uh, Bizarre Adventures, uh, 
and uh, which kind of takes place uh, during uh, like a hundred years from the first uh, uh, season to the latest. But in in every uh, in every season or in the first two seasons, the, the every episode ends with. Um, The whole song is played uh, plays, uh, played as the outro tune uh, cool. to every episode, and it, it's made always uh, edited in in such a dramatic way, like really, like okay, now it's really at the peak. Like every episode is like a fighting uh, manga, like this. Um, there is like a shonen manga, uh, which means that uh, it, it has a protagonist that uh, has to get stronger to beat the. Uh, beat the adversary, beat the um, uh, the villain, uh, but but in, even from the start, they're both. Everyone is like a big hulking beast, like with millions of muscles. Uh, but and it's, it's such a fun um, uh, contrast that every episode ends with uh, uh, yes, uh, roundabout as like a, a, a dramatic ending, yeah. and it became like very popular that way. So it's like this. Uh, uh, this uh, and very like it's a, a very memeable anime, so it has uh, a lot of uh, memes thrown around, uh, and uh, and even like that that brought also with it, you know, roundabout became a meme in and of itself later, and uh, and also I think charted a bit higher than normally on the on the charts, and 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 the 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 thing I wanted to talk about is like how that is more and more happening with um, older songs that are being picked up by. Uh, YouTubers like Lost in Vegas, but maybe you know even more famous ones. Like there was a last year a kid that was uh, listening to In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins and just kind of uh, reacted to it. And you know when these heavy drums come in, you know, yeah, and he just like it's yeah, it blew his uh, blew his mind, and everyone just started listening, and he became like number one on some chart. Like it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, and in, in this JoJo's bizarre adventures, the it's not only yes that is referenced, but I mean everything. Uh, like the main villain is called Dio, for instance, named after Ronnie James Dio, uh, and there is a character called character called Robert E O Speedwagon. Uh, <laughs> you know, there there's two villains called called Dyer and Straso, uh, Dire Straits, and there's a four characters called Paige, Jones, Plant, and Bonham. You know, it just goes on like this kind of uh, the unproblematic reference that um, Japanese manga writers just, they just do. They don't care. Like it, it doesn't matter because most of um, the readers do, probably don't know it. You know, they just think it's cool names. Uh, as well as one of them in the later uh, season, a, la- a, la- a later season of the anime, there is um, some kind of creature called King Crimson. And that's kind of funny because uh, uh, Robert Fripp, he's very, you know, uh, uh, vocal about his stuff. Not uh, He doesn't want anyone to rip off his things or, like, make money from his work. Uh, like on YouTube, he always takes down everything that's released there uh, by people. But here he was kind of, yeah, it's okay. I don't know. He, he just felt that the, in, in the big... Um, uh, in the scheme of things, it didn't really matter. Uh, but it's fun. Uh, I don't know if you had some similar uh, uh, look on this, like the, or a take on this, like when when songs return, like and uh, through this um, 
unexpected uh, course of actions. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, maybe a different version of that would be the, because I'm still interested in production, right? And uh, when you get things like uh, In the Air Tonight coming back, suddenly you will hear these Phil Collins gated reverb mega drums in, um, yeah. in puppets. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and I, I really like it. You know, I really like it because you can't forget those things. You know, it's part of, it's tools of the trade for sure. And I mean, sure, I mean, you could work with a autistic trap hi-hat uh, that could be cool. I'm not against it. But you could also look back and in here in the air tonight and like, shit, this hasn't been overdone lately. There's room for mm. this and it evokes feelings, evokes emotions and awe, really. So uh, yeah. in, in that sense, you know, not only the names or, or, or the commerce, but also the sounds come back in, in circles and it's nice to see it happen. Mm. So uh, I guess that would be my angle on that. And uh, I, I like that it's a mishmash now. Is this, we've, we touched on it before, the, the internet hive mind type thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's so much really information readily available, and I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Uh, and then, I mean, yes, still touring. Uh, not right now, but I mean, they they just kept on releasing albums. This is this strange, you know, kind of reforming here and then. Maybe one time they were called Yes, featuring John Anderson, or the other way around, or was it... Uh, how Wakeman, Anderson, uh, Bruford featuring Yes <laughs> or something like this, you know, yeah. kind of uh, fighting all, all the time about it. I think they had a, quite a serious um, legal battle about their name at one point in the 80s. But, uh, I mean, which band doesn't? Um, it's true. I just read that they, John Anderson wanted them to be called World and uh, Steve Howe said, like, Life. And then... Uh, what and then they asked uh, uh, Chris Squire, uh, "What do you think?" And he said, "Yes." Like uh, he was just gonna start saying something else, but they were like, oh, "Okay, yes, that's good. That's a good name." Uh, it's maybe the the best band name. Or <laughs> I love the name. Yeah, it's know. a really cool band. Uh, name. It's there really was a good. Hip hop club in Stockholm called Yes for a while as well. It's just a striking name, really. Yeah, better than no. <laughs> I would much say. better than no. Much better than a no. Better than no. <laughs> Okay, hey, uh, that was me uh, talking about uh, uh, a lot of anime reference, but I think uh, it was interesting to bring up uh, Yes, and I think might return to them also. It's so much fun to play uh, some of these riffs. I think they're really cool, um, but it's a lot to do with what's happening with the rest of the band as well. I think it's just such a uh, successful amalgam of uh, different talents that at one point decided after seeing King Crimson that they have to start rehearsing and rehearse they did uh, super great very good band very good band I just and play the the short intro again and then I will go on to your section sure
I play it much faster. You know, it's a really slow intro, but I think you can you can do your own version out of it. Um, but anyway, super fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, love this. I leave it to you. Great choice. Yeah. Uh, gave me a lot of energy, so I have enough energy to just kick into this riff. Here we go. All right. Judas Priest, finally! Is it is, is it Electric Eye? Yeah, it kind of is. It's uh, no, the title it's is, not. Uh, yeah, it is Electric Eye. It's not yeah. kind of. It is Electric Eye because yeah, right. I, I always I always mix it up with the introduction to the song, the hell I Yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah. also a classic. Obviously, it's very harmonized, but uh, you can kind of make a version like yeah. goes into ah, super cool and that riff uh, yeah it was the first song I heard from Judas Priest actually before Living yeah. After Midnight before Breaking the Law I was in Denmark and I bought this Best Off CD and it kicks off with these two songs and uh, mm. I wasn't hooked on the band on the full like compilation but I, I love this one and Especially that riff, you know, both these riffs really kind mm. of early riffs for me, and uh, I think I've I've come back to this type of harmony many times in many songs I've done. And uh, what I like in Electric Eye riff is that it goes, it is this E minor pedal type thing with, uh, but uh, they don't do the C B like every at the gate song. Instead, they do C and then yeah. A, which is darker. So, you know, you have E. And then C, but then A, which is more to me darker than going for B there. If it was B, it would be a worse riff. Like you just kind of going down there, but that A yeah, that, makes the whole difference, you know. Then you have the line cliche; it's a bit too obvious, maybe. Yeah. But here, here it's great. It's really dramatic uh, riff. Sure, such a fantastic uh, intro riff and uh yeah great yeah i want to hear more uh, give me more yeah i've been i've been kind of pushing uh, priest because i wanted to learn more riffs before i took put, uh, took them out but then i realized mm. uh, now before recording that i had to play this riff so i know a few riffs but not enough to make it like a special maybe we could do that later return to priest but uh, obviously another riff that is really not close to me from another album is uh, uh how is it now uh, Painkiller. Nice. 
from like almost 10 years later but uh, obviously like a, a real thrasher of a riff and uh, it kind of brings me to the point of discussing this band that they, yeah. they they were the first to decide we're playing metal you know <laughs> we're not playing rock <laughs> yeah, the, yeah we're yeah. playing metal because they started kind of you know first album is called rockarola it's not very <laughs> metal is it and they had the cowboy hats on nope. stage and you know trying to find their identity <laughs> and then they found this metal thing you know the leather and the studs and uh, obviously with uh, rob halford's influence from the gay scene really kind of mm. worked within this genre and you know inspired bands like man of war for sure uh, i mean judas priest have a song called battle hymn for example like the first man of war album and they really went metal right i don't yeah. know what's, what's your comment on that i know but it, it is really like i mean everything everything metal that came after they just had to uh to work with this they you know like okay maybe yeah, I mean, before thrash metal maybe took the took out uh, and and grunge, I think is very similar in the, in in the how they kind of approached it. You know, just a black T-shirt and black jeans. But I mean, the first uh, Slayer album also kind of have to uh, first the first iteration of Slayer also had to uh, uh, agree, like start with start with Judas Priest. Like everyone has to start with them, you know, and go somewhere else. But I mean. So many bands that look like uh, Priest and didn't understand where it came from, which is fun. I think I think uh, <laughs> Rob Halford must have thought that was hilarious that they didn't know that they well, this masculine man who often you know hated on gay people and they were just uh, uh, <laughs> dressing up like uh, like he, like he did on the weekends. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's such a really like a big prank in a sense. And he said himself that yeah. can't. I mean, I can't fathom that I was not exposed earlier you know because he did everything to put it front and center and i mean on uh, on my favorite judas priest album sin after sin from uh, 77 there's so many songs that tributes to different parts of gay culture uh, mm. you know with the you know describe frankly just describing gay orgy in one song and then another song describing this super stud that rides into town and you have one chance to have a session with him and then he's gone forever, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, Sinner, you know, is obviously about something or sin after sin. You know, he's kind of looking at his way of living and how sinful it is, according to very many people around the world, and make yeah. metal out of it. It's brilliant, really. Brilliant concept. I, I think it's, uh, and I don't know if you're, um, uh, you're going to move, move this way, but I mean, uh, they also have songs that are more low political, also. You know, like uh, I was thinking of breaking the law, oh, yeah. uh, which is such a fantastic uh, riff, also. Very good, simple riff. A minor, F major. That's it. Yeah. And yeah, to continue on that theme, yeah, he's kind of describing it. You don't know what it's like, uh, out of work and down, had to put something into my life, breaking the law, you know? Yeah, and I think I remember the video also being so, I was I was um, a bit blown away by that video because it's just like English working class uh, street life, you know, kind of walking around, uh, very dirty and like not, doesn't look very cool, but... Uh, it's still quite cool, you know, in that way. 
that it's not like overdone with dragons or something. It's very, right. it's very surprising song. I think a lot of people were surprised when it came out. Also, this thematic um, uh, going from something like Electric Eye, which has this sci-fi. Yeah. Electric Eye has this Big Brother idea, really. You know, the surveillance oh, okay, idea. Okay. So it's it? kind of fitting. <laughs> yeah, kind of fitting mm -hmm. today, you know, because of the data mining and whatnot. It is kind of you know Big Brother watching you. Um, I'm made of metal. <laughs> My circuits gleam. Yeah. I am perpetual. I keep the country clean. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I always imagine it being a like a space laser that would uh, eradicate threats. I mean, it's, it's kind <laughs> of that. Kind of it's kind same. of that. But it's really you yeah, know, no, 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 he watches your every move. <laughs> he can see you everywhere. Uh, it's about the surveillance. 1984, the book, not the year, type vibe. And uh, yeah, they don't do much dragons and fantasy. Really, it's not too much of that. No. It's more personal. But it's what you kind of. Yeah. Society. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you would expect it from the from the riffs, maybe, but then you have the. It's basically, you know, like describing life and uh, Rob Halford's life. Then, yeah, uh, in many ways. And um, yeah, another cool riff that I've never played. I'm looking at the riff now, but I wanted to feature it. Is from um, an album with without a drummer. Actually, they used a drum machine for this album, and the album is called <laughs> really? Ram Ram It Down. Is the name of the album. Ah, <laughs> cool ah. title. And the last song I do believe is called. Blood Red Skies, and he has this really nice anthemic riff, like... Uh... It's kind of... I don't know, Led Zeppelin, but a mech warrior version of it. <laughs> it's hard to yeah. say, you know. It's, <laughs> it's very dark, but also very... Uh, there's a lot of pride in the sound, uh, for some reason, you know. Mm. No pun intended with gay pride. Uh, but it, it has this kind of uh, pompous vibe, I think. That uh, yeah. really, really, really cool when you look back at it now. Because first time I heard Blood Red Skies, it was just, this is 80s, you know. That's where I put it, in the 80s box. But when I listen to it now, it's slightly darker or slightly more pomp. I don't know how to really describe it, but I do get these guys that have been as big Priest fans as I've been a Maiden or Metallica fan or Black Sabbath, because they have a sound, they have a touch to what they do, which is in a way unique, even though they changed so much. And I always believed that they were a little bit of a bad luck band in the scene, mm. because they, they always had to struggle to kind of find what could actually bring food to our tables now uh, especially in the beginning so they did make like british steel living after midnight type songs to make money yeah they've they've, yeah. they've addressed this later so it's kind I, of I, struggling with identity and still so much identity so that's perplexing to me what would you say on that This is a great song. I I, I saw it live with uh, the the I don't know if they forgot them, but this um, the Norwegian version, the Norwegian helicopters, Glucifer, uh, mm. back on Hoodsfest Festival, and they they did a they did a number of uh, they did a cover of uh, Living After Midnight. I think that was the biggest success of the night, uh, and I think that's a great song. I really love that song. Like the, the the riff is so stupid, but it's really nice. It just like works. <laughs> it really works. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I have that feeling also. A working class band, you know, like make ends meet. Um, but still, like even releasing album without a drummer, you know, that's also kind yeah. of uh, speaks of this desperation uh, to just remain like within this. Uh, we talked about it again. Uh, talked about it just now. The 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 circle uh, or the the circle of recording, uh, releasing album, touring. You know, you have to do that. You have to bring food to the table, like you say, and that's uh, that's not easy. You know, for being a heavy metal band. Yeah, and then another super heavy metal riff from uh, the Sentinel, uh, the, from the sister album to Screaming for Vengeance, where you find Helly on an electric eye. The Sentinel mm-hmm. is on um, Defenders of the Faith, and this riff is also like incredibly metal, really like. <laughs> Dramatic is the word, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And uh, yeah, yeah, interesting band. Kind of always falling a little bit in between the bricks, but also like a huge name. But obviously not as big as Sabbath, Maiden, or um, Metallica. Not really. I mean, uh, mm, Metallica no. loves them. Uh, Maiden had this rivalry with them, but they've like later admitted that they're on the same team. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. There's this famous story, famous story from Paul Diano era Maiden that I may have told in in our Maiden special. I don't know because we spoke for four hours. But you just priests were rehearsing in the same complex as our Maiden, and Maiden with Diano just walks in and stares at them. They're just having this staring <laughs> contest, <laughs> trying to psych them out. And then in interviews, when they were gonna play together, Maiden would go like, "Yeah, we're gonna blow them off the stage. No, no competition." You know, so it was this kind of <laughs> strange rivalry going on but they talk a lot now about doing a tour together which i guess is becoming less and less likely but that would be a cool tour mm. yeah, i mean now uh rob halford is uh, on an album with uh iron maiden as well maybe even two um the other way around though is it like uh, bruce oh he's on brave new world uh he's on one of those songs on brave new world uh, maybe he is. Maybe I didn't know that, but it's, it's entirely I think possible. So, it's entirely or am possible. I totally wrong? Bruce were, was on his album still, though, in the same okay. era. Uh, Resurrection, great album actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just mm-hmm. um, Rob Halford's solo album. Bruce sings on kind of new metal-ish song called "The One You Love to Hate," <laughs> which yeah. I like the song. Uh, it's their version of new metal. Oh it yeah, works. maybe that's that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The, the um, but it should be on an Iron Maiden album. Yeah, that's a great song. That's a that's a really good um, uh, good duet, uh, and I like this. Uh, <laughs> like I just got to think about Udo Dirkschneider because he also has a band called uh, Dirkschneider, and then you have Halford. You know this uh, gimmick of using your last name, you know, and kind of making a big yeah. uh, H and a big D in the end. You know, like kind of. Bring it, tying it together, but Bruce Dickinson being a bit more egocentrical, just like Bruce Dickinson. He went. Yeah, Bruce my Dickinson. name is good. Yeah. But yeah, he, I don't know. He, yeah. to, to his yeah. credit, he tried to have band names, but none of the uh, management would have it. <laughs> what was his? Uh, do you have? Uh, do you remember? Skunkworks. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, but that was an album. That became an album, right? Yeah, right. Or he wanted to call the band Skunkworks. He really did yeah, want. Okay, it, but this was his grunge, you know, kind of grunge. Uh, 
what's the word um uh, complex you know he wanted to yeah. he wanted to he felt that he was young enough to be another uh, uh, what's his face he loves the singer uh, chris cornell uh, chris bruce, cornell yeah bruce uh, was a huge chris cornell uh, fan at that time as far away from uh, Chris Cornell as you could be, probably. But yeah. I think to his credit, I mean, it really works well on Bruce Dickinson's solo album, yeah. uh, The um, uh, Chemical Wedding, right? Yeah, that's a bit later yeah. when he kind of went back to metal. And it, that's an amazing album, which I'm, I'm sure great. to get back to. It's, it's really, really good, good riffs on it. And it really battles many mm. of the Maiden classics. It's, uh, it's really, yeah. really good. Uh, but... Rob Halford, uh, his solo career, but I mean, he went back to Judas Priest. Now, it feels like, you know, so, sometimes when we do this podcast, I remember how it was in like begin when, when this stuff didn't really had ha- it hadn't happened yet. You know, like Iron Maiden was getting back together. Metallica hadn't released Saint Anger. Like everything was open. The field was open. Anything could right. happen in this metal world. <laughs> but then it just like... Kind of in a way imploded with just like yeah more and more tours like reunions, uh, remasters, and uh, I don't know you know like did anything really exciting happen with this band after uh, that point? It's an interesting question too, right? Because uh, also it's a big question. It's a very very big question. Like speaking of Maiden, when when Bruce left, uh, they had hundreds of auditions from guys that could sing like him, that could hit the same notes, and so on. But, uh, you know, Steve being stubborn and being a very pride, proud person, mm. he didn't want to go with a second Bruce. So it went yeah. completely different. But uh, Priest went with a second Halford in um, Tom Ripper Owens, who sings yeah. on uh, Jugulator, for oh, example. Yeah. Really hard album, actually. Quite cool that it's so hard. It really like <laughs> goes for this uber thrash. But uh, they probably did, they had the wrong idea, I think, because Halford doesn't sing any of the songs from that era. Bruce sings plenty mm. of songs from the Blaze era, five songs if I recall correctly. So uh, mm. it kind of it became like this second tier Judas Priest cover band instead, right? Uh, even though Tim Tom Tim Ripper is way better singer than Blaze, it wasn't true to the original idea of what the band was. So again, they kind of lost it. When of course Halford is back now, the latest album Firepower is really good, but. They didn't keep momentum in a way, to me at least. No. So how I, relevant is yeah. it? Yeah. How relevant is it? Uh, and 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 I just want to put in there that is, isn't uh, Tim Ripper Owens' situation isn't that the basis for the movie Rockstar with uh, Mark Wahlberg of all people <laughs> uh, filling in in this rock band that's helmed by uh, among other people Zach Wild on guitar. <laughs> so, <laughs> There, I gotta see that terrible movie. film. Like yeah, fun. you have to see it. it. It's really funny, but it, it's I don't know what I think I saw it in the cinema. Even I was like, "Oh, Rockstar, that's cool." And it, it started the, the gimmick. I liked it. It's the he's at a concert. He's in the front row, and the singer, you know, he hands over the mic, and he just belts out like the even improved version of their biggest hits. You know, and people just go wild, <laughs> and the singer goes crazy, and he quits the band, and uh, Zach Wild like, "Hey man, you gotta play." you gotta sing with us and then you know like he he lives his rock star dreams and and then he wants to write his own songs and he's like yeah man i don't know we have pretty good songs ourselves i don't want you to jinx it and then he writes like this tear bleary eyed ballad song and it becomes a huge hit and it's like such a typical Hollywood yeah. thing. <laughs> like, I gotta see this. Why do you, you want to destroy the band with a ballad? <laughs> I want to see this tonight. This is great. This is the type of <laughs> film I want to see. 
I uh, didn't uh, know about this, this actually. He looks terrible in long hair. <laughs> and it's that. Oh, it's it's oh, it's great. It's, oh no. Oh no no yeah. Oh fuck. Okay. Yeah, this is it's funny. You have to see it. You have to yeah. see it with Zach Wild. I think he had to shave as well for. Uh, oh really? For the role. So he went back to like old school Zach Wild. Yeah, he has no yeah. beard. Wow. Uh, and uh, uh, like uh, oh my yeah. It's we, they, they go for this kind of um, 80s uh, glam rock uh, vibe also. Really funny. I gotta see that. And uh, another game of riffs, riffs term that we use, Bruxy, for labor riff. Mm-hmm. I wanted to address yeah. too that in, in this song, uh, of course, you have the strong riff, my main riff of the episode. Uh. You know, really killer riff, but can you really sing on it? Uh, in Halford's case, he went no, and he sings on this instead. Only D and E power chords. That's a yeah. proper labor riff, and these guys are from Birmingham, a proper labor city, right? Yeah. I just was looking at the tab actually I was like wow did he play play this sounds Uh, great and then Uh, he went he goes low with uh, yeah continue first no no I I just I agree I mean it's it's um, I mean you shouldn't always uh, sing on the most uh, prominent riff I mean it works uh, a lot of times um, but a lot of times I think it just like uh, involves some chords there, man. Like save save those hooks. Like have two different hooks. Have the riff as a hook and have the vocal hook like that. It doesn't need to interfere with each other. They can work sort of parallel and then at some point they come together or they, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the way Go he ahead. sings, he doesn't start off with his patented, you know, soprano screech. He, he starts off with this kind of uh, way down in the... Uh, we talked about that guy before, um, David Gann from from uh, the Pesh Mod. The Pesh Mod. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, he starts down there, you know, up here in space, I'm looking down on you, my laser <laughs> strays, everything you do, and then comes. You think you're not that kind? There is no true <laughs> escape. I'm watching all the time. <laughs> it's just so cool. <laughs> And then yes, it goes down again, of course. I'm elected, electric spy. I'm protected, electric eye. You know, I think it's good vocals, really cool vocals. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's really, really good. I like that dynamic of using his whole range, even though, like, you could, I mean, is his range, he's kind of blowing his voice all the time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. He I doesn't have he, he doesn't have that range. <laughs> it's just like like falsetto is kind of she in a way it's kind of um, hijacking your vocal cords, right? Yeah, you're not. Uh, I think everyone most most people can sing a falsetto, but it's not like you couldn't reach that with your normal voice. You have to kind of uh, you know shift gear from from uh, <laughs> kind of from reverse to five, <laughs> you know, immediately, pretty much to yeah. get there. And uh, most people can do it, but it, it's it fucks up your voice. Uh, fast 
I yeah, I say. always thought about that. Exactly what you said. Like he must be constantly blowing his voice out. But that's the thing. He's consistent. Mm. He doesn't. So obviously, there's yeah. really cool technique behind this. And I went. Oh, yeah, into probably, probably. But uh, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I listened to the the ISO tracks from Painkiller. I could throw that in for the listener, like a little snippet mm. of that, because, you know, it's just so much, it's such good takes on that one, you know, there. <laughs> it's maniacal. It's absolutely maniacal. You Great, it's almost a thrash uh, riff. Amazing solo in that one too. Really cool solo. Yeah, uh, but but who did it? I mean, we have to mention the guitar players, right? Oh yeah, yeah, um, Glenn Tipton <laughs> and KK Dowling yes. is the classic yeah. duo. Uh, it's a classic, classic uh, guitar uh, duo. Good names, also. <laughs> yeah, Glenn uh, you know, not 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 the most like uh, prolific in the band uh, by far. You know, like Rob Halford, you know, is the one you think about. But KK Downing, Glenn Tipton, like this. So and they do a lot of cool, um, uh, like you, you described there, also a lot of cool um, interlocking guitar leads, uh, harmonies and stuff. And they're really known for that, uh, working that into their riffs as well, not only their leads. And then the, also doing these uh, patented uh, poses, right? Yeah, the, the guitar poses. On stage. The... Like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit more, more like a it, it, like <laughs> this would be like a Rick Beato click uh, bait, like when rock got physical, you know, like <laughs> it's really physical guitar playing. Also getting in more uh, a lot like uh, Thin Lizzy, I would say as well. For sure, uh, going from these uh, like laid back, um, uh, you know, Dwayne Allman or maybe uh, Eric Clapton, then you know, all of a sudden there's KK Downing and Glenn Tipton just like running around. 
making way for um, Iron Maiden, of course, or, you know, like, it is metal, you know, like, everyone's running around, everyone's doing aerobics on stage, basically, uh, and playing yeah. at the same time. And then uh, we have another hero of mine in this band that is an unsung hero for sure. I think he's been on every album, if not okay. close to every album, is Ian Hill on the bass. And <laughs> I love his style. Mm. He never flashes out. He never you know, really sticks out. He just stands, taps his foot all the time, always tapping the 4-4, and just you know, pumps these bass lines with the plectrum. In a sense, like uh, um, Cliff Williams in ACDC, that type of bass player, and he's just so cool. <laughs> and I... I really dig this guy. And then for drummers, they've had pretty much everyone. I think we talked about uh, <laughs> Scorpions being a model for um, Spinal Tap. We talked about Black Sabbath, especially Born Again era, being a model for Spinal Tap. And then obviously Judas Priest is so much Spinal Tap too. You know, the exploding yeah, drummers. Yeah, yeah. Probably the drummer exploded before Ram It Down, right? So they had to use the drum machine. And uh, I don't know, it's this whole thing, this whole classic metal thing blurs together in a nice in the nicest way and reminds you of this incredible movie spinal tap <laughs> somehow right and he looks very spinal tap and also the name glenn tipton you know nigel tufnell uh, there's yeah, something yeah. there right uh, i mean spinal tap it's really a tribute you know it's not a mockery it's a tribute for me at least i don't know what's your take oh, on for that. sure um I, I, I just sent you, uh, we can put this on Instagram also, but I sent you the first picture that comes up when you uh, uh, search for Ian Hill. You have, check it. I sent it on, on, okay, cool. on our Facebook. Ian Hill. He has such a you look. And also maybe, you know, um, the guy in uh, uh, the, 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 the cartoon Spinal Tap, uh, Metapocalypse, their bass player, Murderface. Murderface, Murderface. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Hill has a bit of a murder face, and then obviously there's Geezer Butler in there, you know, with the fringe and whatnot. Yeah, you have to check uh, then also uh, later, at, at, if you want to, dear listener, uh, there was just a Super Bowl uh, final, this uh, NFL blah 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 with all the commercials and shit, and they have this uh, um, mid, uh, like, a break where they have a musical guest and this year was the weekend this uh, R&B artist good, I guess yeah, and, I he, like and he got hit. this yeah he got this uh, <laughs> he got this murder face murder face moustache <laughs> it looks ridiculous <laughs> it's really great and now now, now <laughs> so, I've loaded the picture you sent me it's incredibly nice picture <laughs> how nice yeah, it is yeah. <laughs> you know with the shames <laughs> in the background and with yeah, his yeah, face yeah, yeah. he looks he looks almost perished you know he looks age yeah. old but still, you know, you can see his steadiness on his spectral bass. You know, he's steady pumping on notes. Ah, what a hero. <laughs> what a hero. I mean, we, we, we should do, but we should do a, a Spinal Tap. Uh, that's a good special, also. I think right. uh, going into those riffs, it's great songs. I, I feel, uh, I feel that's coming soon. Actually, I get excited just thinking about it, rewatching the film. Right? Great idea. It would be it's nice. a great idea. Yeah, and uh, kind of trying to find uh, the references uh, as good as yeah, we can. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Uh, let's do that. Uh, okay, Judas Priest, and yes, that's a good wow. mashup. Yeah, good uh, combination. Really now. nice. I, I still want to return to Priest because it's a quite big band, yeah. and unlike Maiden or Metallica or Sabbath, I never had like a, uh, I was never a rabid Priest fan. So it takes a bit of time to to find my way around, and we also have another special in in the plans 
so it might take some time and then i realized okay i can i can pull out electric eye today um, just because because of the power of the riff really you know? yeah, for, for deaths for deaths cool fit with yes and also like both these bands fitting back to scorpions from last week in a sense yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> totally inspired yeah. So, uh, no, yeah, I could end the segment yeah. with a with a different sounding priest that I'd like to play for you from from my favorite album, Sin After Sin, just to know, right. kind of show the width of what all the things they tried to do. So um, check this sound out. That's a, quite a different <laughs> sound again, right? Definitely. It, it feels like another band is trying to break out uh, uh, from, from... It's really nice. I like it. it and I, I just I read a little bit there on... Uh, I just Googled it really quick and I, I saw that it was uh, produced by Roger Glover. Yeah. Uh, Deep Purple Bases. I mean, who worked, with, worked on... Um, didn't he work on Jesus Christ Superstar also? Yeah, uh, or no, so. at least he, he did uh, the butterfly ball, which is similar kind of people involved. Uh, so I'm sure he. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ian Ian uh, Gillian sang in that one, of course. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar. He was Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. Then on, exactly. Uh, on butterfly uh, ball. Uh, he sang live, uh, stepping in for Dio because Dio was hogged by uh, Richie Blackmore at the time. But uh, then again, Roger Glover also produced uh, albums with Rainbow, Down to Earth, the first album without Dio. So he was this kind of. Uh, spider in the web, as we say over here, you know, always involved in a sense, and he—it's great production on on scene after scene, very open, yeah. very smooth for the ears. I like it. Uh, I, I just got, uh, yeah, with with all this, uh, I'm mixing up uh, everything here, but uh, I, <laughs> I just was wondering, I was curious, but why did they pick uh, Judas Priest? Uh, their name? I mean, it's. Um, Judas, uh, Jesus' friend who betrayed him, but uh, why did they pick it as a band name? Do you know? It's interesting. I'm, I have to save that for the special because I do not know, but I'm sure it was kind of a provocation, you know, trying to uh, provoke people to listen to this band. But it's very metal, and they were not very metal when they started, so interesting. Ah, no, but I, I remember now, actually, they were inspired by this Bob Dylan song. The oh, yeah. Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. That's it. Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, they were the best of friends. <laughs> but Frankie Lee friends. needed money by day. He quick, uh, Judas quickly rolled out to roll the tents. <laughs> right. It's such a good That's song. It. It's just like, it's too, I think it's too chords. Okay. Uh, but uh, other chords maybe like. I don't know. It's from uh, my favorite Bob Dylan album, John Wesley Harding. 
And uh, maybe I have where also all along the Watchtower is from. Uh, great album. Uh, I have to. I don't know if there's so many riffs. Um, I have to find some Bob, hard, hard and heavy Bob Dylan <laughs> riffs that might be hard. But I wish I, I, I want to talk about him. So I, I have to work a little bit on that. Yeah. So uh, I'll be back. <laughs> maybe vocal riffs. It's a good, you know, could we could be it too? For sure. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to tie it together, but I just realized that on this same album that I like so much, uh, <laughs> Sin After Sin, just to show the contrast, there is this song that was uh, subsequently covered by Slayer. This is an aggressor, and oh. you've got to listen to a little bit of that too, because it's so good. Like, uh, you've got to yeah. check this out, the entering falsetto here. Beyond good. Yeah, it's pretty far away from Last Rose of Summer. But maybe it is the, the, the chuffle beat uh, that makes it sound more like a musical somehow. That could fit into Jesus Christ Superstar. It's not like yeah. uh, that far removed. Uh, well, it's super heavy. I like it. And an incredible chorus with the stand. All fight. Cry. The hooks through my brain are with him. And uh, when, they do, when Slayer do it, they, do, they replace the falsettos with screaming bends. So like stand, yeah, of fight, <laughs> and it's really cool that they make this tribute on an actual album too. You know, it's just thrown in on South of Heaven, a, a priest mm-hmm. cover because Kerry uh, King was a massive priest fan and Merciful Fate, that was his biggest bands, and then he discovered Slipknot. <laughs> uh, we'll save that, save that for another day. <laughs> That's another story. This was a good one. This was a good one. Nice combination. And I feel like both these bands, yes, and Judas Priest, uh, there's way more to say, I think. But, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Definitely, definitely. And maybe it, it would be interesting at some point like to do uh, a special where we revisit the same bands. Uh, you know, we go back and we, we talk about yes and Judas Priest again on the same yeah. episode. I don't know. I no, mean, it it's all like possible. It. Yeah, yeah. It's good that we, we there's no shortage of ideas for doing this. No, and uh, yeah, there, there, there are millions of riffs uh, out there, and uh, you know, I have some, I have some plans, I have some, uh, some stuff I want to do. Uh, but I'm happy again to be have a little, just a little bit more time to uh, to rehearse. It's it's fun. I've been playing around with these jazz riffs. Been uh, a pleasure. So I hope you enjoy, dear listener, uh, this episode of Gaining for Riffs. And we'll be back next week. Yes, we will. Thank you for listening. Have a good one. Bye bye. Gain it for riffs. Gain it for riffs.